But we're back in Genesis. We're going to continue our journey through Genesis. I want to say a prayer. We're going to jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we are privileged enough to have Bibles and God that we can go through them and look at truth and find the truth in there. And your spirit can work on us and open our eyes to see the truth, the eyes of our heart, Lord. And I give you praise for that right now in Jesus name. Everybody say amen. Good to see all of you in this these summer months, this crazy summertime. It's uh, it's been an adventure. And uh, man, I hated that about the LSU Tigers. Wow, that was sad. Josh was happy. I sent him a little emoji of an alligator, but uh, that was sad. All right, so a little review. We, we've talked about, we've been leading up to the, the fall of man in Genesis 3. And um, I, I just, I want to, uh, I'll start out with a little review on man being created. I call this the anthropic principle. Everything that God did was leading up to the creation of mankind. In other words, man was at the center. Man was the centerpiece of everything he created. He created everything with man in mind. So that means the furthest galaxies, the galaxies furthest away that have a gravitational effect on closer galaxies and that have a gravitational effect on even closer galaxies and et cetera, et cetera, until you have their effect combined on the Milky Way. And then the Milky Way, all the stars in the Milky Way have their effect on our solar system. And our solar system, our sun, affects the Earth, the third rock from the sun. And... All of that was created so God could put a man in the middle of it all and have a relationship with him. And his name was Adam. It's the anthropic principle. It all centered around Adam. And so we've talked about how the devil was on the earth. We talked about how the demons were on the earth. And God planted a garden and he put a man in that garden. And he said, I want you to have dominion and subdue this planet. You are the authority on this planet. Take it over. So we have that situation, Adam and Eve, and now we're in chapter 3, and we're starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Let's stop there. We know what God should have done, sorry Lord, was put a cat in the garden, right? Because the cat wouldn't have tolerated the snake, would have killed the snake and brought him as a sacrifice to the doorstep of Adam and Eve. That's what our cats do, right? But this was not a snake like we know. Apparently this snake walked because part of the curse was it was to crawl. So apparently it walked. Apparently it talked. Adam and Eve didn't think it was weird that there was a talking snake in the garden. Don't understand that fully. But Ezekiel 28 lets us know without a doubt in other scriptures in the Bible that it was Satan that was at least using this being that we know as a serpent. Now, did Satan possess the serpent? Did Satan just speak through the serpent? Did he make Eve and Adam think the snake was speaking? We do not know the specifics, but here's what we do know. The devil began 
communicating through this serpent somehow, some way. And the first thing the devil did was question the word of God. The devil cast shade, cast doubt on the word of God from the get-go. Look at verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. So the serpent said, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And she's like, Well, we can eat of all the trees, but that one in the middle, God said not to eat it, and He said not to touch it lest you die. Now, Perhaps the nor shall you touch it, lest you die, was some kind of guardrail policy that Adam instituted because we don't see where the Lord said don't touch it. Maybe Adam was trying to put a perimeter around it, like just stay away from it, don't touch it, much less eat it. So maybe that's what it was, but if that's the case, it would have helped if Eve would have understood that, that this was a guardrail policy, which would have involved Adam explaining that to her. I don't want to digress into that, but we have no record where he explained it to her. So she just says, we can't eat it, neither can we touch it. Now, Jewish tradition, there's some rabbis that say that when she said, nor shall you touch it lest you die, that the snake shoved her and made her touch the fruit. And then seized upon that moment because she said, if I touch it, I'll die, pushed her into it. Look at verse 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. So you can see where some of these rabbis perhaps got some of this information or speculation. You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So I've got a few things here. You will not surely die, the serpent said that, Satan said that through the serpent. That is a direct contradiction of what God had said. A direct contradiction. The devil framed that question that he asked, and then this contradiction in such a way as to suggest that God was holding out on them, like God was cheating them out of something he didn't want them to have. And it's his, it's, it's, here, here's the deal. He, was, he, he framed it in such a way that was saying, God doesn't want you to have this fruit because if you eat it, you'll be like God. When the reality was, they were already created in the image and the likeness of God. The Latin is the imago Dei, in the image of of God. This was, I have said it before, deer have deer, fish have fish. God had a son. His name was Adam. He was as much like God as was possible without being God. I mean, the devil wasn't like God. The angels weren't like God, but Adam and Eve 
in the image, the Imago Dei, and the likeness of God. Now, nothing happened when Eve ate the fruit. But when Adam ate, immediately, as we'll see, the eyes of both of them were open. And they knew they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, Psalm 104.2 says that God is clothed in light. 1 Timothy 6.16 says God dwells in unapproachable light. Matthew 17 tells the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And it says that he shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Revelation 19.8 speaks of the righteous wearing white robes of righteousness. And there are other scriptures. And, and these scriptures suggest that the glory of God seems to manifest itself as light, very bright light, and that it is a covering like clothes. And, and perhaps that's what Adam and Eve were wearing. They were not naked per se, but they were clothed in the glory of God. And when they sinned, they lost the glory of God. They were cut off from the glory. They were separated, which is what death means. The day you eat this, you'll die. Death means separation in the Hebrew. And so they were separated from the life of God and from the glory of God. And they felt the need to be clothed in something, so they manufactured clothes of fig leaves and covered themselves, but it wasn't enough. We see where God killed animals, which is interesting, you know, in a day where PETA prevails, right? Different animal rights organizations prevail. God kills animals and covers Adam and Eve in animal skins. And I've said this, and this is gory, and this is gruesome, and this is grotesque, but I don't believe he tanned the hides. I don't believe that, that you know, he turned them into some kind of designer leather clothes. Like, here, Adam, here's some leather britches, you know, and here, here's your leather outfit. Uh, I think that he covered them in these bloody skins because part of this was to communicate the powerful truth of just how epic the fall was. And just how epic the solution would be. It would be gruesome. It would be grisly. It would be grotesque. It would be the man Christ Jesus on a cross, the Lamb of God. The Agnes Day, the Lamb of God on the cross, suffering to bring about a restoration of what they lost. It's, it's, it's a communication of the links that God would have to go in order to redeem mankind. The fall indeed was epic. Eve was tricked. Eve was deceived. But Adam was not. Let me go ahead and read. Let me go ahead and read this. Where, where did I stop? I stopped at verse number 7. Let me go back to 7. The woman saw the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Coverings. 
made themselves covering. So here we see Eve was tricked. Eve was deceived. But Adam was not. I mentioned this before. Adam was not a big galoot. You know, we have our flannel graph version of Adam, like he's some kind of ignoramus. Just, um, you know, old dumb Adam, you know, meandering through the garden. He's the snake, eats the fruit, you know, just that kind of thing. But really, he was as much like God as possible without being God. He could fellowship with God, spirit, soul, and body. Perfect spiritual connection, perfect intellectual connection with God, all housed in a perfect physique. He was not ignorant. He was God's crowning creation in the image and likeness of God. But the anthropic principle included what I call the dominion principle. God said, take dominion, dominate this planet. And included in that was the, the right of volition, the power of choice. Listen to 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 15. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, that is really the proto-evangelium. That is the first mention of the gospel because Eve would be saved in childbearing. The seed of the woman would have a child, a son, that would reverse the curse. Now, some say that Adam, so Eve is tricked, right? So the snake's standing there talking to him. Eve's tricked. She falls for it. God's holding something back from us. I see it's pleasant to the eyes. It looks good. I think I'll take a bite. She believed the snake. She was deceived. But Adam was not deceived. Paul says that Adam was not deceived. He was not tricked. Some say that Adam, for romantic reasons, didn't want to lose his bride. And he knew she would be lost forever and he didn't want to lose her. So out of romance, you know, like Romeo and Juliet and the hemlock, he said, I'll eat this too and we'll ride off into the sunset <laughs> All the way to the gates of hell together, you know. Just me and mama. I love you so much, baby. You know, you fell. I'm going to fall with you. I love you so much. That sounds good. What a romantic notion. Sounds like a Hollywood movie. On the other hand, though, I believe, and we'll look at this tonight. I'll throw some scripture your way. I believe I can prove it scripturally. But I believe Adam had the power to forgive her to redeem her, to cover her, to rescue her. And if that is the case, not only did he not do that, but he doomed himself and their children after them and all of us. And so if that's the case, if what I'm telling you is true, then... What, and I've overused this word, an epic fall indeed this was. This was high treason. And I believe it was. 
I am convinced Adam was Eve's covering. He was her intercessor, her go-between, her Christ with a little C. He could have forgiven her, but rather than forgiving her, he rebelled against their God. He did so in the white light of revelation as God's own son. He chose to seed from a union that he had with God, join an already established confederacy of rebels led by Lucifer, He died, he was separated from that union that day, and he joined this confederacy of rebels. I call it AOL, right? It's the first AOL. It was Adam online. Adam online. He was online to God. But when he fell, he didn't just break that connection. You remember that old connection? (laughs) You've got mail. Remember that? Some of you remember that. I remember those old discs, right? CompuServe and AOL and all that stuff. All oh, those were nightmare days. But AOL, Adam online, he didn't just get offline with God when he fell. He got online to the devil. Became, in a sense, born again. Born from beneath, a child of the devil. Jesus looked at people and said, you're of your father, the devil. We are by nature the children of wrath. That's why we got to be born again. Because Adam fell, was born, the man who was born from above became born from beneath. And, and, and so he, he got online to the devil. The, the prototype, Adam, became broken. And all of us are broken. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. 1 Corinthians 15, 21, 22. For since by man came death. What man? Adam. By man also what man? Christ. Jesus. Also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all shall be made alive. What we are in in this New Testament is this idea that we can be transferred out of the old Adam and into the new Adam. The born again. The idea of being born again. Now, I want to show you that Adam could have forgiven Eve because I know when I say those things, people think it's ludicrous that that's you, you, surely not. Well, let me lay some foundation for you first. First of all, everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry, he did as the second Adam, the last Adam, also known as the Son of Man. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man more than any other phrase, any other term, Son of Man. It makes for good preaching to say, and I'm a preacher so I can say this. It makes for good preaching to say, as a man he hungered, but as God he fed the multitudes. You've heard that. I'd preach that. As a man he rode in a boat, but as God he walked on the water. As a man he got tired, but as God he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And it makes good preaching. We understand the dual nature of Christ Jesus, but, but that's not really accurate to say it like that. Because everything he did, he did as a man in a covenant anointed by the Holy Spirit in his earthly ministry. Philippians 2 tells us this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant 
and coming in the likeness of men. In other words, he could have functioned as God. It wouldn't have been robbery. It wouldn't have been wrong. But he chose not to. He chose to take the form of a servant and come in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God's highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. That every knee would bow, every tongue confess. Jesus divested himself of his Godhead power. Are you with me? These are deep thoughts. I I get it. They're deep thoughts. But I'm going to tell you something, man. There is power in this word. There is liberation in this word. And I'm going to tell you something. The, 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 The way Jesus functioned, he's the head of the church. I don't have to be God. I am a man in a covenant with God, anointed by the Spirit. That's what the body of Christ is. And the head is Christ, and we are the body. And that same power flows through us that flow through Jesus. That's why we should expect prayers to be answered. And that's why we should expect signs and miracles and wonders. Because the power in the Christian is as powerful as the power in the Christ. If I had to be God for, for God to do something through me, well, that's not going to happen. Well, I'm, not, I'm just a man. Hey, but I'm not just any man. I'm a man that's in the new Adam. And I'm anointed by the same Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Hallelujah. We're not just m- mere men and women walking in this world. We're believers. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of His dear Son. Amen? So, He divested Himself of His Godhead power and chose to function as a man in a covenant anointed by the Spirit. So whatever, listen to this, this is powerful. Whatever the last Adam could do, the first Adam could do also. Not because he was God, but because he was a man in a relationship with God. And he was the designated one to cover and to be Eve's high priest. Now there's a little story in John chapter 5 I want to go to, or Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Starting with verse 17. This makes this come so alive. What I'm talking about. This is powerful. Verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching. That there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by. Who would come out of every town of Galilee. Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So there was a healing anointing on the anointed one, Yeshua, the Christ, Jesus the Christ. There was an anointing on the last Adam to heal Pharisees, teachers of the law from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. Then Behold, men brought on a bed 
a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. This was probably Simon Peter's house. Simon was a commercial fisherman, had a nice house that could accompany a lot of people, could accommodate a lot of people. And the crowd was so thick, they couldn't get this paralyzed man before Jesus. So they went on the top of the house and they cut a hole in the roof. They cut a hole in the roof and, and they let him down through the tiling till he was right before Jesus. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said to him, Man, listen to this, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive but God alone. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Rise and walk? Listen to this. He does not say, But that you may know that the Son of God has power on earth to forgive sins. He says that you may know that the Son of Man has power, that's exousia, that's authority, on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, immediately, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house glorifying God. If immediately the man was healed, then when he said, your sins are forgiven, immediately the man's sins were forgiven. Because he had the authority as the last Adam to forgive sins. Just like the first Adam had. And had Adam not forsaken his bride, he could have immediately covered her. That's why when she ate, nothing happened. But when he ate, their eyes were open and the glory departed. Brothers and sisters, what's the application? Those are deep thoughts. What's the application? I'll tell you what the application is. I have a high priest. I have, a, I have an intercessor. I have a go-between. I have the man Christ Jesus who will never leave me and who will never forsake me. I have an intercessor whoever lives to make intercession for me. He is my go-between. He is my covering. I have a relationship with God because I have a Savior who will never fall. I remember praying one time. I got all sad because I was always making mistakes. You know? You ever been there? I've told you about the goofball I worked with in Washington, D.C., who told me he had never sinned. You know, he told me he had never sinned since he got saved, 12, 15 years. He had never sinned. I watched him sin, but he didn't know he sinned. 
ignorant, you know, willingly, goofball. But I got depressed one day. I was like, Lord, I make so many mistakes. Oh, I make so many mistakes. And, and the Lord just spoke simple, simple words to me. He said, when you, when you stand, I stand, son. And when you fall, I stand. I have a Savior who when I fall, he stands. He, he's not like at the first Adam. The first Adam, she fell and he fell. But when I fall, he stands. And he stands to cover me. If any man sins, listen, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Adam was unfaithful. He was unjust. But my Savior, my Jesus, our Adam, he ever lives to make intercession. Baby, you can't sin too much. You can't go far enough away that his blood is not sufficient to make a difference. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. What, what, a, what a Savior. What a Savior. What a Savior. Eve was cursed because she had a rebellious Adam who refused to do his job. We are blessed as the bride of Christ because we have, we have a submissive Adam who refuses to give up and give in regarding us but stands in our stead. Jesus Christ. The righteous. I love it. He will never, never fall. Hebrews 10, 23, 25. Also there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them powerful man jesus don't ever let the devil talk you out of your forgiveness don't ever let the devil tell you you've gone too far don't ever let the devil cause you to give up on your journey and give up on your jesus all you got to do is turn to him he's standing right there he's not going to fall he's not going to listen to that dumb old devil and say yeah you're right he's gone too far you're right she's gone too far he's going to say never Never. My blood is sufficient. I'll ever live to make intercession for them. Amen. I love it. I love it. Don't ever, don't ever let the devil talk you out of your forgiveness. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The right. Does that make sense? Are you with me? What a great and glorious salvation we have, y'all. This is not weak. This is not predicated on my strengths or your strengths. We have a Savior who is strong, man, he's strong. Nothing can stop him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the backsliders, the, the prodigals that need to know. He's standing sure and ready right there to offer forgiveness. So strong. It's a strong salvation. not weak. Man, I, used, I, used, I was like save, lost, save, lost. Like I grew up save, lost, save, lost. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I thought it was a revolving door all the time, Ron. Like, and, and, and I believed that repentance, I had to say I'm sorry. So as a kid, I grew up in church, you know, and they, they told me, you're going to go to hell if you sin, you know. And, and that's, good, that's good talk right there, right? You don't need to sin. And so, but I just thought, wow, like I thought a bad thought. Oh, God, I'm going to hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. It's like I was always doing that. I was always, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like a Canadian thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
So I think a bad thought, uh, you know, Luther said you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair, you know. Well, I'd, you know, they, they'd fly, they'd start building a nest in my head, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Shoo, shoo, go away, go away, go away. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought that. I held on to that thought. I'm sorry. Just, I was always, it was revolving door. I was saved, lost, saved, lost. I had no confidence in my salvation. It was predicated on me. Save, lost, save, lost, save, lost, save, lost. And, and I preach about it. Let me give some balance here. We got an easy believism world. We got, we got a Jesus loves everybody. I preached about it Sunday. Nobody's going to hell, that kind of thing. Not so. That's, that's a lie from the pits. Uh, and, and you need to live a holy life, a godly life, a life submitted unto God. Yeah, but, but the grace of God teaches us those things. And sometimes we try to do it without understanding the grace of God. It's not like I'm without help, Dave. It's not like I'm without a partner. I've got my Adam. I've got my Jesus with me. And so when I, you know, instead of like looking at it like a revolving door, I just look at it as I got a partner and I stumble and he he picks me up. Thank you, Jesus. We walk. I stumble again. I'm sorry, Lord. You know, when, when, when Peter was trying to figure out forgiveness and he's like, so how many times should I forgive somebody, Lord? Seven times? He thought he was being generous and the Lord's like, Seven? No, 70 times seven. And that's really got an Old Testament connotation there. We see that back with, well, in, 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 or we'll see it in, in our journey through Genesis. But 70 times, 70 times seven. It's really referring to an, as, as much as needed. You don't think God would require something of us that he's not willing to do himself, right? So I walk, and I stumble. I'm sorry, Lord. Can you help me up? Yeah. Keep walking. I'm sorry, Lord. No no problem. I'm in this with you. We're in this together. As long as I maintain the fellowship, I'm going to say this this sounds strong. Uh, It could be taken out of context. So let me just give a qualification. Don't take it out of context. But as long as I stay in fellowship with him, my sin's not the problem. Because I've got the solution walking right side by side with me. When the devil tricks me and I fall, i got the solution right there. I turn to my Jesus. And he says, it's all right, son. Come on. Let's walk a little further. We have an advocate, a go-between, an intercessor. We're not in this alone. I think it's Ecclesiastes 4. The wise man says, I looked on the world and I was like, wow, this is bad. I'm paraphrasing. This is bad. On the side of the oppressed, there's no strength. On the side of the oppressor, there's great strength. And the wise man said, I looked at it and I'm like, man, it'd be better. It'd be better to not live. It would be better to not be born than to live with the oppression that's done under the sun than to live without strength. But the Bible says when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were undeserving, he made a way where there seemed to be no way and he offered us his strength. And so now on the side of the oppressed, 
there is strength. And I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, right? I can walk this walk all the way to the end. I'll walk through on the other side. And, and everyone who gets through to the other side, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get a crown. They're going to get a crown like, like a runner runs a race and wins and gets a crown. We're going to get a crown, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to know it wasn't my own strength that made this happen. We're going to take that crown off and throw it at his feet and say, Worthy is the Lamb, the Agnes Day, right? Worthy is the Lamb of God. The elders, the apostles, everybody bows the knee and says, Worthy is the Lamb. No one was worthy to open the book, but in comes the Lamb, that last Adam. And he opens and we say, Worthy is the Lamb. The strength that made all of this possible. Oh, and it it doesn't end. It doesn't end just with us being saved. It ends with us getting a glorified body like everything's going to change. But it's all because of the Lamb of God, the last Adam. Are you with me? I love this stuff. Verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves because, or they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? No, No, God knew where they were. Not like God was blind. They were playing hide and go seek and they had hidden so well. Wow, where'd they go? Adam. He knew where Adam was. He didn't know if Adam knew. Well, he knew all things, but Adam didn't know where Adam was. Where are you, Adam? I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Now, he's talking straight to the man. See, Eve ate, nothing happened. Adam ate, and everything happened. All hell broke loose. Their eyes were open. So he says, have you, Adam, have you eaten? Adam, where are you? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you? So he's afraid. Fear comes from, from, from having no intercessor. He said, well, you know, the woman you gave me to be with. No, she gave me of the tree. And I, how convoluted is that, right? The woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the true tree and I ate. You finally get to the end. I ate. Yes, I ate. I did. Yes. But it's because the woman you gave me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Convoluted. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well, we know Paul said that's the truth. She was deceived. The man wasn't. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you're cursed more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. I think that's interesting that he first thing he throws out, he's like, you're cursed more than the cows? Like, I didn't see that, you know, like, it's like, your life is going to be so bad, it's going to be worse than cows. Isn't that funny? Worse than, more than the cows even. You know, the snake's like, oh, no, not the cows, right? You're cursed more than the cows, and more than every beast of the field. 
On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So he's, you know, the joke is he's defeated, right? His feet come off, right? And he, he, he has to crawl. Now, there's some symbology there. You will eat the dust. You know, Adam and Eve, man is made from dust. From dust you've come, dust you'll return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that kind of thing. And so the, the enemy feeds on the flesh. The flesh nature exploits that in mankind. I will put enmity, that's warfare, that's hatred between you, snake, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. But there's more to it than just the serpent, right? This is the devil we know as well. The devil, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. Her seed, which he refers to he, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is that saying in the ancient language that is saying he will crush your head. He will ultimately Break your lordship and your dominion. He will seize the authority that you have now gotten by ill gain. He will take it back. And we see this fulfilled when Jesus took the curse. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. From Galatians 3. Cursed is everyone. Jesus takes the curse. He is the The serpent on the pole lifted up. You know, we always say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. John 3, and we'll say, that's, hey, church, we need to lift up Jesus in worship and praise. Uh, I used to sing a song back in church in the day. uh, Help me lift Jesus, Jesus up. Help me lift Jesus up. Norman Wagner, Bishop Norman L. Wagner and the Mount Calvary Concert choir and he was the psalmist bishop norman elway help me lift jesus because if we lift jesus up he'll draw all men into himself and we've used that in worship and praise but john 3 is not saying worship and praise he said as as moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness and anybody would look to that that snake on a stick that bronze snake which is an, an indicator of fire. Bronze is a medal of judgment in the Bible. Are you with me? Bronze is a medal of judgment in the Bible. And Moses, these snakes were coming out and biting the children of Israel. And he said, we need a fashion. The Lord gave him this plan, a snake of bronze. And that, that snake will be lifted up on a stick. Run through the camp with that snake on the stick. Anybody who's bitten, if they'll look, they'll live. And Jesus said, as as Moses commanded that snake to be lifted up, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. And so Jesus is that, that solution to the problem of sin. And he has taken the judgment upon himself. And, and, and the idea, the idea is that when when he hung on that cross. He went into that tomb. He went in those three days. And people speculate about those three days. Where did he go? Some argue he went to hell. We know he went and preached to captives held prisoner. 
ancient spirits from the time of Noah. We'll see that in our journey through Genesis. Fascinating stuff. And then some say, no, he didn't go to hell. Of course, he went to paradise because he said to the thief on the cross, today, you'll be with me in paradise. People argue that half for millennia. But here's the point. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, he appeared to them and he said, listen to me. All power belongs to me in heaven and on earth. Everything Adam lost to that old snake. I have crushed his head and defeated him and led captivity captive. Led principalities on a parade of victory. I have overcome. Now go in my name and preach the good news to all nations. So that's what he's talking about. The proto-evangel, the proto-evangelium. The first mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll put him between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Crucifixion was the bruising of the heel. But the cross ultimately was the crushing of the enemy's head. And I'm closing. To the woman he said, sorry Elizabeth. I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. All you wives, I'm so sorry. And your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I'm not going to touch that. (laughs) Then to Adam, he said, because you've, Heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You're going to have to work to eat, son. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb, herb of the field. Stand with me right now. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now listen to this. This is hopeful, and I'm closing with this. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Never called her that before. They were both collectively known as Adam. But after death and misery and destruction in faith, The seed of the woman is going to reverse everything and bring life to death. And so he said, I'm going to call you Eve, the mother of life. It was a faith statement. It's like I didn't agree with you before. I didn't walk in harmony with your word before, but I'm going to do my best now. And so we see that Adam and his wife, the Lord made Tunics of skins clothed them, those animal skins. And he's driven out of the garden. Those skins, we'll close with that. It's amazing. That was the idea of sacrifice. From now on, what used to be spontaneous and harmonious and autonomous, this relationship with God that Adam enjoyed, now was going to take the building of an altar, the offering of a sacrifice. We're going to see this next week. 
Because what's going to happen is, remember, Cain kills Abel because Abel offered a lamb, a sacrifice like God had just done here. It's going to be this idea of blood sacrifice. Grizzly, gruesome, grotesque, awful. Cut the little lamb's throat, that innocent little lamb. Cut its throat, offered as a sacrifice. It's going to take that. Now, Adam, you want fellowship? That's what it's going to take. It's going to take that. And the Lord is demonstrating that here. It's this idea of sacrifice. You have to build an altar. You're going to have to call on the name of the Lord. You're going to have to start looking ahead. They don't know it yet. They don't know what they're looking at, just a sacrifice. But that is looking ahead to the Lamb of God, the seed of the woman on a cross. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's all starting to point that direction. And Cain's problem was not God doesn't like vegetables. Is that I have commanded blood to be shed. And not the blood of a fruit or a vegetable, but the blood of a lamb. You need a feel. You need an experience. You need that tangible gruesomeness of what this fall has done and what it's going to take to fix it. Amen.